argument. I may, I may be wrong, but this stuff is really successful. So there's got to be a reason other than sheer marketing that it's taking off. And Japan after World War II was in a pretty collapsed state for quite a while, for about 15 years. I mean, they'd always had, because kind of the Buddhist Shinto background, they'd always had a lot of myths and stories and legends and folktales of characters that move from one state to another, a woman that becomes a crane, a frog that becomes a prince. I mean, we do too. You don't find that only in Japan. But in the years between 1945 and 60, you had Godzilla, you had Astro Boy, which was a cartoon of a robot boy, very cute, but a robot. And that these characters and these stories are about morphing. They're about changing. They're about going from one state to another. Godzilla is a killer, but Godzilla is also kind of a cyborg. He was totally changed and mutated by exposure to nuclear reaction by, you know, testing by the U.S. That's how the story goes. And in Japan... Godzilla wasn't just evil. I mean, people feared Godzilla, but they also identified with Godzilla. I mean, this was kind of the myth of the media post-war age. Whereas in the U.S., I mean, certainly there were a lot of people who were having hard lives, but it was an era of, I mean, that was the era that I was kind of raised in. It was the era of Father Knows Best and shows that It was were, a very stable yeah. era. Yeah. Whereas you get into the late 90s when a right. lot of these Japanese toys really, really took off in the U.S. with things like Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh! And suddenly we're in an era when the U.S. is going through enormous social changes. Right. And kids are experiencing that, yeah. I mean, to be raised in a nice little, you know, suburban community in the 50s, 60s, where you have an intact family. Again, I'm not saying that everyone in America did, but that's what got kind of picked up and represented, I think, in our popular culture. You're right. And now you don't see that so much. I mean, a lot of people and a lot of kids in their everyday lives have a very different kind of reality. Things are not as stable. They're far less secure. The family's far less intact. There's much more mobility. So my argument is that in Japan, you had all of that kind of picked up earlier, in part because of very historical, you know, realities. I mean, things were really hard in Japan. People didn't know whether they would recover. They didn't know if the nation would be reconstructed. There was an incredible, you know, challenge to national identity. The emperor was said to be not a god. He was just a guy. I mean, that was totally radical. So they had to deal with all of these radical things. They didn't win the war. They thought they were going to. But they failed miserably. And so in that era, you have these kind of fantasy creatures being concocted and constructed and created that have lasted until now. And now I think that we're at a different age. And so characters like that, stories like that, I think are appealing to us, too. Anne Allison is a cultural anthropologist at Duke and the author of Millennial Monsters, Japanese Toys and the Global Imagination. A large part of Japan's gross national cool is Japanese animation, or anime. Think of those beautiful, beloved Miyazaki films like Spirited Away and Howl's Moving Castle, or Japanese manga comics. If you want to know more about Japan's contemporary graphic arts explosion, Fred Schott is the guy to go to. He was writing about manga before we here in the States were eating sushi. Steve Paulson caught up with him. There's one man who's been called the god of manga, Osamu Tezuka, who, who's most famous for his character Astro Boy. Tezuka died 25 years ago, but you knew him. And in fact, you were his English translator. You often traveled with him around the U.S. What made 
Tezuka so influential? Well, Tezuka was one of the people, if not the main person after World War II, who did what I just mentioned, which is to take this grammar that had been imported largely from the United States for comic books and expand from a concentrated information to make it much more visual and cinematic. So his stories became very long, and instead of being 30 or 40 pages or more, they might be as long as 2,000 or even 3,000 pages long. So he tried to do with comics what other people have tried to do with novels and film. When you say he had stories two or 3,000 pages long, what, yes. in, in installments then, presumably? Yes, they would be in installments, uh-huh. but they would be compiled into paperback books. And he was quite an extraordinary individual. So in his lifetime, it's said that he drew 150,000 pages. He also established the framework for the modern Japanese comics and animation industry because he took his most popular manga or comics character.